the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome back to another Tenuous Links golf podcast as we wrap up what was another exciting Open Championship this is the home of Golf Barons now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxel On Demand. Make sure to series link Season 2 if you haven't yet done it. Now, on to today's podcast. We'll be going through all the good, bad and ugly or other things that happened over the weekend at Sandwich. And to help me through it all, as always, is our resident pseudo-Frenchman, Phil Bear. Hello. Should I? You know what? I actually just froze then and I did French for four years and... I could not think of a bonjour. Ça va bien? There we go, Philippe. Very good. Uh, what, a, what a great open. Good, the bad, and the ugly of the open. Let's start. Let's just kick things straight off with the good. And there, there was a lot of good, actually. Maybe even great. Colin Morikawa. Oh, great. He's been elevated to great. The question I've got about Colin Morikawa, is he the perfect... So, so without getting too carried away about how good he might be, but is he the perfect golfer in that he combines all facets of the game... Beautifully, including temperament, swing, the whole lot. Yeah, what, what impressed me most about the young fella is he just, he seems unflappable, doesn't he? He's, he's sort of, he's all class. He's, he's got this humility about him at such a young age. And there's no doubt that's going to win him a legion of fans around the world. He's almost the anti-Byron Phil. The anti-Byron DeChambeau. The anti-Bryson Phil. <laughs> no, I actually prefer, I, I think the fact that Byron is sticking is actually really insulting enough that he's just trying to bring... Trying to bring Kipper back into the into the pot. He's not here today. Look, look. In every respect, what I find incredible about and there's a number of incredible things about his victory. First play to win the Open and PGA on debut, on debut which you're not going to hear from us as the only people. Bogey free in the last round of both wins. Look, when thirty one holes in a row without a bogey at the Open, Matt. But when when under the pump, when when it ha- the job has to be done, and you know, even a couple of swings late, you just knew that he didn't get it perfectly. But when under the pump. He got the job done. Yet last week at the Scottish Open, he couldn't hold a putt. He seemed really, um, really humble, though. Is that not something that really jumps out when when you see this guy, um, even in his speeches at the end? He seems really clever. So he'll adjust his game to the course, as a lot of a lot of golfers will do. But he does his homework probably more than any of the others. The more I read into him and and, and learn a little bit about the guy, he's not. A, I mean, he's not afraid to make changes to his bag setup. Uh, or even his strategy, like you—you you just mentioned the putting. Well, he made—you know—he made the decision to change his putting grip just the day before round one. You know, no more of that claw grip that he was using over the longer parts, because of the—you know—as you—as you found out the week before at the Scottish, the fescue greens, and those at, at Royal St George's, they're a lot slower than what he's used to on the PGA Tour. And it's fair to say that really did work for him. I mean, he made heaps of the longer parts, just yeah, totally in control this week. Uh, and there's a, a really nice. Summary, without breaking down his round, I got sent this quote from a avid listener who needs to work on his chipping, apparently. But And this was what he sent through. If I came home and found Colin Murakawa in bed with my wife, I wouldn't know what side of the bed to get in. That was you with Brooksy for a while, wasn't it? And I think for, for, for us, that is the ultimate compliment. He, he's, he's just... Everything that was good about the game was how he conveyed himself. And we'll get on to some bad later on. But so everything that is good about golf is how he presented, let alone his play. 100%. And I think 
I know we're sounding really effusive about this guy, but I think a lot of people will be when you consider a lot of people didn't know a lot about this guy. And was he going to be just a flash in the pan after he won the, the PGA without a crowd? But he's clearly shown that he's something special. I mean, he's only two men in history have won the Open and the PGA Championship before turning 25, as we've sort of heard them talk about. Morikawa, and the other one's Tiger Woods. And you don't like these early comparisons to these, you know, with Tiger. It's, it's always easy to say, oh, this guy's going to be the next Tiger and, and that sort of thing. But th- there is something special about this kid, I'm going to say. And, and I was a bit of a doubter. I think even last week I said to you, I'm not sure this guy will ever win another major. He's absolutely made me eat those words. And I'm, I'm a convert, Phil. Do you know when I knew he was going to be great? Is when Kipper buggered up his nose Macca- and called him Macca- that was always going to happen. Yeah. That, like that is, that's the, you know, we talk about compliments that can be paid to people. Um, when Kipper ruins your name, you know that you're something special. So Makakawa. A lot of special people, Phil. Uh, Makakawa was almost as outstanding as the Open itself. It is the best major by miles. It, no it, question. There's not even yeah. a comparison. It, it, yeah. is, it is the best major for feel for crowds for for if think about the u.s open which has got a great great field as the open does yet they trick up this crap rough around greens and all this other rubbish the open has a joy about it it has a celebration about the game and it always does and it helped by the weather but it's not even close best major by miles and it's not it's not gimmicky in any way at all, is it? Um, but it's every element of it. It's you know from the yellow flag to the marshals, the 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 royal blue um, of all the the signage. It's just it's everything about it. It's the most exciting thing. It helps for us being in Australia is that we can watch a lot of it during the early afternoon, early evening, uh, sorry, late afternoon, early evening, um, and then we just have to get up at three o'clock to see what's going on um, at the end. But it's. Uh, so, so the fans were fantastic. I think I only heard two dickheads the whole time. There were a few get in the holes. The yeah. one tee start. Who would have thought something as simple as a one tee start could make things so enthralling, given that you've got daytime. The fact that everyone hits off from this, this cauldron, not, oh, he started on the back nine, it doesn't really matter. I love it. And how good was it having the fans back, uh, backing Big numbers too, Philly. And uh, there's a lot of talk leading into it about, you know, players complaining, as we spoke about on last week's pod, about complaining about all the things they had to jump through to, to, to allow these fans to come. But personally, I thought it was just absolutely wonderful to see them out there. And more to the point, on a bit more of a, you know, a selfish note for uh, for Morikawa, I nearly did a kipper then, was um he was robbed of that moment when he won the PGA. No crowds. He got to have that, and you could see he was clearly moved by by the numbers um, and, and having that experience with all the all the fans around again. So he was really appreciative of it. I thought it was I thought it was wonderful to see fans out there, and it gives glimmer of hope to a lot of people, including including yourself down down in uh, lockdown. Hopefully that, that we can get back to a pretty reasonable sense of normality. Do you know the only thing that I thought he could have done better walking up eighteen? He's taken the hat off. That was one. Th- I was waiting for him to take his hat off and wave it. To the crowd, the way not that it's a necessarily yeah. a tradition, but it was something that for me, in my memory, I think that's the the iconic signal to the crowd. It's the ultimate sign of sort of respect, and it was it was just I just wish that was the one little piece. Of it, and I'm getting very picky. Yeah, but, but he's he's 24, Phil. They don't take their hats off when they're sitting down eating dinner. No, that's probably not a bad. Uh, it's not a bad point. The other thing I loved about the Open is that strategy defeated power. With the with a disclaimer of for those that went in with a strategy, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the in the bad. But but this was about um, 
it, it was about shot making and thinking your way around it. And I'm going to get on to Justin Thomas later, but there's a difference between being a good ball striker and having all the shots in your bag and then knowing when to hit them. But this was a strategy open. And if you think about, you think Louis Spieth and Makakawa, who probably deserves for the purpose of this podcast to have his name pronounced correctly for the rest of it. I think the, the highest up the driver distance ranking is maybe 90th of those three, yet they were the three dueling it out because it required brains yeah. and brawn and strategy. And I loved it. But I just love the way that we can, his, his approach to changing his game to suit the course, as opposed to a Bryson, for example, who goes out with, I'm going to overpower every course or any course I come up against. Um, and it doesn't change that strategy. This is my strategy and it will work. I'll make it, I'll force it to work. That, that turned out well for him. As opposed to Marikawa, who will, more classic thinking man's golfer. He's brilliant. I'm, I think I'm uh, Louis. It's it's been fun, but uh, I think I might have to step aside. You've got a Colin crush. A little one, just a little one, just a little one. But um, while we're on good, and this could have gone anywhere, but let's let's talk about Lodovicus Theodorus Ustazen. So close yet again, but hats off to the guy. He's playing some brilliant golf at the moment. And how hard is it to? go wire to wire at an open of, of any of the uh, tournaments to do it at it, it was tricky it was always he was always going to be up against it in the final round hunter versus hunted now again these little quirks that come out of it only four people have beaten louis in all four majors for the whole year <laughs> like <laughs> you know you've had a good year son or you've had a good few months and which is another thing you've had a good few months because all the majors are jammed into three or four months but for a zinger my mate a zinger to go again with this may be his last chance to win a major. Very few people are beating him in a major at the moment, and there's nothing at the age of 38 that's suggesting that he will lose his game between the Open and the Masters next year. Um, and it is a long gap till the next major. Very but true. Louis Louis, uh, like I knew I'd got into trouble when I sent you that Australian crawl clip uh, <laughs> of Louis Louis in Buenos Aires. I was getting ahead of myself and I was excited for you with Louis Louis. But, but he just keeps powering on. He, he stepped back from Morikawa to give him the limelight. He did. He just does everything right. He smiles. And in fact, it was probably the last, halfway through the third round and the last round was the only time that there were some other gestures starting to come out and you were starting to see what pressure can do. Um, to the best in the world, but the only thing for me now is though with he's had six runner-up finishes, eight uh, top threes, and he's only he's had the one you know since winning the the Open back in 2010. I'm just a little concerned that the scar tissue of those those close close calls is starting to starting to add up. I am a little worried for Louis Phil. Hunter versus Hunter. He just needs to listen to our Hunter versus Hunter. He just Hunter needs to podcast. hold back a little bit and just just sit back at three shots back and then have his have his round. Uh, and that was the the point that was made about Jordan Spieth is when he gets his nose in front, he rarely gets past. But he's got to get the lead, and that was so. It was just that breakthrough for for Spieth. And when you um, think back, and we'll talk about putting a little bit, uh, but when you think back to to how he finished seventeen and eighteen at round three, and particularly his his um, short miss putt on on 18, um, where Thomas Bjorn made an interesting comment about, you know, just a little bit of age and a little bit of wisdom would have said, mark it, walk away, let someone else putt it, and away you go. And he said it straight away. It wasn't He wasn't um, having a crack at Spieth. He was just saying, you know, that's the old ball, young ball. And you know how much I love that joke. Hunter, Hunter, I think Louis will be okay. Is it his best chance? 
Who knows? But I, I love watching him have a crack and get off the canvas and go again and go again and go again and then buy himself a Lamborghini tractor. Outstanding. Now, he was my tip, Philly. We should probably quickly run through our tips and how they went last week. Uh, I we said, don't need to. I said my, my winner would be, uh, would be Louis. He, he almost got there. It was pretty close. And Spieth was my other one. He was runner-up. So I did all right. Sure, I also said that Ram couldn't win, and um, my cannon can't actually ended up on the same uh, third place at 11 under. But how'd you go, Phil? Um, I, I learnt something about Justin Thomas, and I'm going to save it till later. Uh, I did say that Brooks would not win, couldn't win, but couldn't win by two. But it turns out that he couldn't win by four, so I didn't mind that one. Um, and uh, Kipper's. For now, for now, well, yeah, he was always in trouble with... The minute he said for now, even for now, I was like, no, don't do it to me. If only he but, called him Frey now or something, he might have been a chance. Yes, yeah, that's, well, well, that's why you know for now is not yet ready to win a major, is because Kipper hasn't come up with another name for him yet, but, but we're getting there. So anyway, I don't want to talk too much about my tips, other than credit to uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who did happen to pick the top four, um, as frustrating as that was, although he scoffed at me when I suggested that Ram would make a charge on the last day and might get close. So anyway, I'm going to move on from tipping, but there's a couple of other things that I, I just, when we're on the good, I, I love Royal St George's, infinitely playable, for me, aspirational, and Paul Larson, the the superintendent, the the course manager, unbelievable job, but, but quite the character if you should go and check him out. I love the green speed shooter. We spoke about, when we did our putting podcast, we spoke about if you had to hold a 10-foot putt, would you rather do it 16 on the stimp or 10 on the stimp? And you and, Kipper, you and Kipper were both adamant that it needed to be quicker. We said, yeah, the faster the better. And the faster the better because you didn't really need to hit it so less could go wrong. I've become wiser in the last <laughs> So potentially the, the, um, the great thing about having these, these greens that were, were firm but running 10 is that players were actually hitting putts. It was really exciting to watch them you know, the intent, I think the intent of the putt came out far more clearly. On super quick greens, you watch them tap it and their intent might be to hold it, but it's not evident. Whereas when they were running the way they were running, players were actually hitting putts and you could actually see them, like, I've got to hit it to hold it. And I thought it was a fantastic change from what we've been used to. No, I can't say I disagree with you at all because I had a similar feeling. I knew I had to, I was hoping you weren't going to bring it up because I have to put my hand up and say I was completely wrong. Way better, weren't they? Those greens were, were just magic. And especially when you've got the the amount of undulation uh, as you do have at most Opens, but especially at Royal St. George's on the greens, it's exactly what you said. The intent of, of the putt and... Uh, you know, and the really tacky putters, you can see when they're really trying to ram it home. Even the guys like Brent, um, sorry, Brant Snedeker, a pop putter, but you could see how the aggressive guys, you could see much more clearly that they were they were trying to hold putts rather than just the lag putt, which we've sort of become a little bit accustomed to. Uh, and that was the, what was most evident for me around Spieth is that he was standing over them and he was hitting them. Like, he, he was very happy. It was like he was a... ramming a, them, wasn't he? Yeah. It was like a, a Baddeley-esque performance where I know I'm going to be three feet past I'm going to back myself but I, I have to get this to the hole um, every time which which is getting back to Morikawa one of the one of the things I loved about his putt on 18 for birdie is that of all the putts I saw in the lead up to that his was the only one that missed high side everyone else missed low side from a similar position and it just showed that he really got what he needed to do um, to win love that and and then as an extension 
to that, but with not any connection at all. I love the fight that we saw from one player in particular. Robert McIntyre was out. Yes. Was out very early, and I know you're a fan. Was out very early in round three, and was out of contention. And he could have done what every other player basically did, and just went, "Oh well, I'm out of contention. I'll just get the weekend over." And then went out and lit it up on Saturday, and then Sunday played his ass off. He he finished seventh. He, this is a guy who's tough, Phil. There's no, no other word I can think of. He he grinds his bum off we've seen it we've seen it all year really he's one of those guys he's got that tenacity about him that he he, can, he will always find a way or he'll he just doesn't give up you know there are those that they they drift off a bit and they oh well, there's always next time he's not one of those kind of golfers he's a i'm always a chance i'm always going to give myself a chance i, I just love it he's got that real fighting spirit in him and as a Scotsman, and one of the few ones there, the few, one of the few, uh, it was uh, <laughs> well, one of one of the one of the ones, one of the one that was there. Uh, there were more Chinese players playing the Open than there were from the home of golf. But, it, but he was a, he was a good representative. <laughs> yes, he did. I tell you, he, he did. He carried the flag with with pride, and I, I but I just loved it. And there's a few well esteemed and well journeyed tour players who could take a leaf out of his book of saying. Hang on, I'm not out of this. And, you know, John Rahm was another great example of, I'm a long way back, but no, 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 I'm, I'm never out of it. DJ, after the third round, could have just said, no, nah, not me, but he knows how good he is, whereas these others use it as an excuse. Oh, I didn't play well because I wanted to get on the plane. You know who you are. But I think, I think DJ has more of that than anyone gives him credit for because he is pretty laconic and laid back. But he clearly has that, that drive. And we've seen him do that at quite a few majors now where – He's sort of out of it after two rounds, or you know, he's just making cuts, and then he just comes flying home. He just doesn't give up. So, um, the talent gets you so far, but that tenacity is the thing that really steps you up. Um, as does passion, and I, I just want to give a quick shout out uh, to Marcel Seem. Big fan of the golf parents, Marcel Seem. But to to get to the heights that he got to, where he was top fifty in the world, and then plummet to below a thousand, and then to push back and to watch him sharing. The oh, passion, passion just yeah. genuine, and it, well, he's not always polite. <laughs> <laughs> but we like that. We like the. We, we don't mind it if it's uh, if it's sort of directed at himself. <laughs> he, he directed a few nice comments towards himself. We've, we've all, all been there. We've all been there. But I call it a weekly round. But he loved it, and, and trying to get the crowd involved and sharing his journey. And I, I, you got the sense that the crowd were well and truly appreciating him mm. and his journey and where he's come back from. And I think it, it was exciting. Isn't it? Watching, watching him play on um, the Friday and then into the Saturday was, was just really, I mean, it was really exciting and it just reminds you why the game is awesome. And one of the other, one of the other goods, Damo, before we get on to the really good stuff, one of the other goods that I had, um, I love good commentary. And Thomas Bjorn told a great little Kipper-esque tale, and it was only a very short one, about two thousand, the opening in 2003, and, and he was talking about how long players were taking to warm up, and then they moved to the putting green and all the rest of it. And he mentioned in 2003, Tiger and Vijay were both so desperate to be the last person onto the first tee out of their group of two that Ivor Robson actually had to call for them. And it's one of the few times that Ivor Robson has ever actually had to say, can I please have... Uh, uh, Woods and Sing to the first tee because neither of them wanted to be second onto the tee. Uh, wanted, wanted to be, sorry, first onto the tee. So it got to the point 
And that's that story that that Allenby story that Kipper was telling With us Nathan about. Nathan Green just wanting to own it. Yeah, he, just, he wanted to command the yeah. T box and move yeah, on yeah. and have all the attention on them. And so both VJ and Tiger <laughs> wanted that attention. And so they're just the little gems that you pick up uh, <laughs> along the way, which I loved. I love it. There was a lot of good and um, and some great. But let's move on to to the bad fill in, and we're only going to touch on this very briefly because because I think well we need to give you a bit of a break because you did cop a bit of a flack last week from. Uh, one Ben from Hollywell, but the bad to kick off with the Aussies. The Aussies weren't the greatest this Open. Uh, only two, like, only two of us made the cut: Scotty and Cam Smith. And Cam Smith actually played pretty well. The final round, he had a four-over final round, which dropped him to I think it was outside the top thirty, t thirty-three. I think he was. And Scotty, Scotty's even round finished at t forty-six. We weren't that good, were we? This compared to the South Africans, who you cop some flack for saying we should have a look at the South Africans and see if we can we can present ourselves or, or sort of, you know, to do as well as they're doing at the moment. I think you're, you've got a little bit of swagger in your swing at the moment. I disagree. I think the Australians were fantastic. Uh, and, Ben, I've learnt my lesson. Um, and you're right. They, they, were, they were wonderful. You know what? I, I wish Cam Smith, and I love Cam Smith. Yeah, I know. We're, we're big fans. Uh, there's just a couple little things that I think might need to be, he, he needs to worry less about, marketing I reckon for a season and I'm not saying that he's a Ricky Fowler but there's just so much in him that is beyond his golf ability that that I I, I just want to see him no, no more sideshow sort of stuff yeah I, I do saying. I think everything got distracted and I think it's been reinforced locally this distraction that we promised never to mention again but again he was chasing a low number that, that's the reason he had the blowout the last round he, he wanted to go as low as he possibly could and you know what Hunt Hunt, hunt, and, and chase as much as you can, um, and therefore that's the, the way it is. I wasn't going to bring up um, the Australians or, or the fact that you know going into the last round we had four South Africans in the top ten, and I, I wasn't going to bring that up. Should it? Yeah, I, I'm certain you weren't, Phil. But anyway, the air's been cleared. Let's move on to some other bads and the obvious one, the one that was that's jumped out at us. And um, well, I won't say anymore. Bryson blaming his tools, Phil. I, I thought that was unbelievable. Not not unprecedented, just unbelievable. Because I'm fairly sure when he won the Arnold Palmer early in the year, and it annoyed the hell out of me when during his post-round interview, oh, this gear is so good. Anyway, and that was when he started to reel off all the sponsors that he had all over his body, his hat and his bag. Oh, this, dri- oh, this driver, rad, man, rad. So, you, you know, you, you jump on. Be careful if you jump off. Do you have the actual quote on you from what he said after his was it his second no, round? He just said, oh, "I." You mean that started with the driver's crap? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that, I mean, that's all that need to be. So the driver's crap. Um, you know, it's a bad face for me, and it's, uh, I, you know, I've seen it so many times, uh, almost couldn't be bothered with it. But the the fact that these golf companies do work hard to make the best gear they can. But just because someone has a strategy doesn't mean that they've got the science to keep up with it. And what do you think happens when you increase your speed? You know, your margin for error of course it falls is. through the floor. Was it, was it not the most tone-deaf comment to make? One, about a company that's almost changed its whole um, development stuff to, to, to suit this one player. They've backed him to the hilt. They've invested a hell of a lot of money in him and given... and. and He's made a hell of a lot of money out of them. It's one of the most blindly arrogant, self-obsessed 
disrespectful comments I've heard in golf. It, it was as ego-driven as his desire to hit driver off every tee. You know, when when the same Cobra rep that had to defend the brand is the guy that caddied for Bryson after Brady, Bryson fired his, sorry, parted ways with his caddy ahead of the rocket mortgage. Like, yeah, you talk about time deaf. He, he needed to play up to the crowd. He did. In the um, worst possible way. But he, but he needed to, to save some sort of face because he, he's just embarrassed himself. And you cannot pass that off as passion. You can pass that off as, as pretentiousness and being a spoilt cock. The best thing to come out of it, though, was clearly the PIP endorsements that are going, at, going straight to Brooksy for trolling him with his reply. He's, it's won him a lot of fans back after he probably annoyed a few at the PGA uh, with his comments around Phil and all the rest of it. His comment was, Phil, next day, just put it up on the, uh, up on his, was it his Instagram, I think it was? Drove the ball great. Love my driver. I drove the ball great. I love my driver. Very simple. He said it in an interview. It was actually in an interview and that was then quite, so he actually was not afraid to just mention it or whisper it. He wanted to declare that and stand on top of the buildings. But here's a question about Bryson. And, and this is one of the, the bads, yeah. I think, from the event for those that weren't in the top few. Where did strategy go? And at what, do these guys even, and this is pretty, particularly harsh from someone who really can't hit it, where was the strategy? So Bryson on the 14th hole on day one and day two, I think got home in two hitting four iron, five iron. So clearly long enough to do what Tiger did at, I think, Royal Lytham and never hit driver, yet can't help it. So where's the strategy gone? A, a caddy's actually the missing link as part of that preparation to say, let's just hit stingers all day, every day. And we got a lot of feedback on our our socials as, as messages or otherwise, just saying, where are the stingers? Where did all the stingers go? Why did no one watch Kipper's How to Hit a Stinger as taught by Tiger Woods clip? Yeah, you're speaking to the wrong person about playing smart golf, but <laughs> with, um, but, but I did, but as you say, it, it, this is the problem when ego, when you pigeonhole yourself into one so-called strategy and, and say, we can win with this no matter what, that as soon as you do change that, you're going to come under question, aren't you? And I think that's 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 got to be the, the main the main issue with it. But you should everything you do, therefore, should be questioned. But given how it was just it just struck me that he he actually never needed to even hit a three wood, like with his length. But ego just can't stop it. So therefore, the guy that I've pumped up for being the greatest from a strategy point of view in saying here I'm going to set out to try and achieve this and the guy with the clearest strategy, is the guy who had the, the most murky strategy going into this major. It, it, it was amazing. It was amazing how poorly thought out it was. And wasn't that highlighted by, we've already mentioned, how Colin Murakawa, he studies the courses and changes his game to suit those courses, as which, was, which is what golfers back in the day would have done. It just seems this, this one way, you've got to have a plan B. Surely, and a plan C. I mean, what what happens if the weather got up? The weather didn't get to what we thought it was going to with, with winds and, and whatnot. What's he going to do if he's missing fairways that are already pretty tight with his, with his driver? When the wind's up, now he's struggling to hit irons down there as well. Uh, and we go back to this. Uh, Caddy's the missing link. If Kipper was on his bag or Stevie Williams was on his bag in yeah. the lead-up to the event, or Fanny, he's not allowed to get away with that rubbish. But isn't the Caddy only as... 
powerful as the player, as the player's ability. Sorry, the, the player's willingness to listen. I mean, if it just doesn't seem that Bryce, it wouldn't matter who was on the bag. Bryson just, I mean, maybe Stevie Williams because he would have threatened to punch him if he if he went for it. But but if they're just going to say no, give me that. I want that that club. Bad luck. And maybe therein lies the issue with your mate Pori. Genuine question: Can Cobra seriously stay stay with Bryson? Keep going down this this track. I mean, they've invested so deeply with him, one leg length clubs and all that sort of stuff. But how can they how can they seriously stick with him after those comments and still be taken credibly? Um, yeah, that, that's the challenge. It, it's funny is that when Justin Thomas made his comment and um, Ralph Lauren parted ways it was the well you missed a great opportunity to educate the world but this is not the same thing so this is yeah, not a derogatory comment different. about um or, or a, an insulting comment this is a, a direct uh, aside or a direct um it's an attack really attack on r&d on their research on their commitment to him it, it can't it, it cannot end well and but cobra will stick with him because there'll be this marketing thing of, oh, it's no such thing as bad publicity, even though he just said our drive was crap. And again, it was the, the fried egg guys released that there was a Cobra Rad Speed commercial early in the year that ends with driver ends with Bryson. And, and they just put words over the top of it where Bryson looks in down the, the barrel of the camera and says, the, this driver's crap. <laughs> like, and that's gone viral. So I don't know, they, they can't come back from it, but I think they'll stick with him because... Uh, I just think they'll stick with him. But they don't have that bigger stable at the moment, our poor friends at Cobra. If Bryson's out and Ricky's doing what Ricky's doing... Um, but maybe that's the problem. They invest too much into into one one character. Uh, and maybe they can set about investing in Will Zelatoris. Well, yeah, well, with the driver, maybe not so much with his putter, though, Phil. We saw uh, poor old Will. Now, this, could, this has to just go under the ugly. I don't want to call it bad because... I thought I feel sorry for the kid, but his putting stroke uh, had well. It looked more like mine than it did yours, shall we say? Now there was a, a quasi when he withdrew, so he finished off the round, and when he withdrew with the, the back that he'd hurt hitting out of the rough because he tried to hit too hard out of the rough, not because the rough was too long. There was a kind of inference that the bad back had affected the stroke. Now the the reality is, as I saw it, when you're putting with a crosshand arm lock claw. That's a little bit of a giveaway. I mean, you're combining three things that people normally revert to individually to fix the yips, except you've gone to all of them. So I, I, I hope that he withdrew with a bad back. I really do. As cynical as I am, I wonder whether he withdrew with a bad backstroke. Well, he's a, he's a young, he's a young kid. How old is he? Twenty. Young enough to know. Mid twenties. Yeah. The point is, though, if he's if he's already struggling the uh, the dreaded yips, then that's. That's not a wonderful thing for him. I hope he, I hope he gets himself back and sorted. But um, go, go and have a look at that video if you can see it because it's um, it's staggering how... There's no other word. I'm sorry. It's staggering how, how bad it was. And I'll tell you who he shouldn't get advice from. He shouldn't get advice from Sergio because I watched Sergio again look so shaky over two footers. It was disturbing. He probably shouldn't get advice from Rory because Rory looks as likely to make or miss every single putt that he stands over. I mean, every it could go in from anywhere. Or, or it could be a disaster. Spieth, now I'm no putting coach, but there was a close-up of a putt that he hit on 18 on round two, whereby as he was holing out, the putter was travelling so far in an upward path that the ball came out of the heel and went in right side from two feet. His short putt 
on the 18th in round three, as soon as he stood over it, I said he's missing right because he hits up on them and they get him out of the heel when he can't actually give it a punting stroke, which is why Spieth looks more likely to make 15-footers than he does to make five-footers and why he putted so well on those greens. I was going to say, if these guys are in their own head more confident putting a, over 10, 12 feet than they are over three, do they... I mean, it might, sound, it might be a really stupid question, but is it possible that they try not to hit the ball too close because they feel more pressure? Oh, gee, that's a that's a good one. We delved on this a little bit. Well, it's either, it's either a clever question or a really stupid um, one. No, that, so they definitely try and hit it close. So that, that is the obvious answer. But there's a point where if you're five feet, if you've hit it five feet past, you could be forgiven for missing the one coming back. If you've hit it two feet past, you can't be. So I'm looking for that out. Now, Harsh but fair, and we'll move on to Adam Scott in a sec. But Jordan Spieth, maybe one of the reasons that he's he plays so well at open courses is because the greens aren't 14s. So he can actually hit mm. his putts because he's a beautiful putter to watch and he's a point and shoot. He reminds me a lot of Baddeley. He is just point and shoot. Yeah, he really does. And that's a, a really great thing, as opposed to Adam Scott, who not only is not point and shoot, and this is not me bagging Australian golf, Ben, but if you're about to go out for round four of a major championship, do you sit on the putting green experimenting with how you're going to hold the putter that day? It's, it's not a great look. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't instill confidence, Phil. <laughs> Reverse arm lock into broom, into claw belly crosshand, you know, 20 minutes before, half an hour before he was hitting off. And then even the commentators joked, like, then one went in, they said, yeah, just stick with that one. And Adam Scott's come out after the last round saying, you know, I need to I need to work out a different way of doing this because I can't keep just playing okay golf because he's he's such a good player that you just can't accept it. And I love the fact that he's got the passion to say, this is not enough and I'm going to declare this is not enough for me uh, as opposed to other guys in orange pants who seem to just be able to cruise around doing ads. At what time is tinkering too much tinkering though, Phil? Because I was watching a... Um I was watching a little doco on Ian Baker Finch actually after the '91 Open that he won, and he and he talks about how he felt he had to do make all these changes and do all these things to become the world number one that he didn't even think he was actually going. He was actually good enough to be world number one, or that he even really wanted it. But you've, we've seen this with quite a few players. You've seen it with um, I think Podrick Harrington did did it a little bit after he won won a few back in 2008. I think was his last one. At what point do you do you think if it ain't broke, don't fix it? And how much is oh, we just need to tweak little little tweaks rather than overhauling things? But Adam Scott is broken, so I think that's the difference from a putting and chipping point of view. He's he's broken, so he needs. But what I'm to saying make... is, that if you can, if you're continually tinkering, you never give anything a chance. No, but I think that's the, the point. So he's actually stuck with, I'm not sure, again, we're not on the inside to know whether he's been tinkering or not. But So the Ian Baker Finch one was, was a completely different one. And a question was posed that if he doesn't win the 91 Open using his dialer advisor DG273, Irons as featured in our reboot segment, does he start tinkering because he's he got to that level and he keeps going? Or does he just say, no, no, my path is good, my path is good? So maybe maybe winning the opening ninety one hurt more than helped. But no, I don't think Adam Scott's necessarily a tinkerer. I think he's just a bit lost, and he wants to not be lost because he knows how good he can be, and that's awesome. I think that's a great admission, and uh, I wish him luck. And speaking of tinkering, there was a lovely quote from Gino Benelli, who's the quote the uh, caddy for Joel Darmot. Did you see that? Oh, I did see it. It was. Uh... I actually did laugh. As Kipper would say, I belly laughed. 
Joel Darman was uh, Damon Darman was standing over a, a five footer in round three on the eleventh hole, and he apparently backed away. And Gino said to him, "Are you good?" No, I'm just. I'm going to miss this putt. I just can't decide if I should miss it right or left. <laughs> who, who can't relate to that? <laughs> talk about awesome admissions. He then made it. Um, but talk about awesome admissions. I, I just love that as a nice little touch along the along the journey. I love it. Phil, one of the things I found, it's something that I find ugly at any golf tournament, but especially so at the world's oldest major, are club throwers and club breakers. Mm. Are we not done with this? Mm. I think I think players should have to start buying their own clubs. They might not break them as often as they do. <laughs> because we saw Terrell Hatton, serial offender, cracking the sads after I think it was after a bunker shot, snaps his club in three pieces. He was also I think he also had a uh, couple of choice words with some of the fans. Phil, like, are we not done with this? Are we not? There's petulant little tosses, quite frankly. I'm as done with it as I am with listening to the try and defend it. So when Rory hits a stinger on the 14th way left and then throws his club forward as if it's a boomerang, just don't defend it. Just say, you know what? I'm a sook. I am Pory McElroy and I'm a sook and I need help. (laughs) Pory, here we go, Felly. Now you're Um, in the spirit of it. I'm building and I'm building up to it from here because you really oh, nice. so so Tyrell as his name would be if he had been born in America, so Tyrell Hatton n- n- like just knob passionate knob, yeah no maybe he might actually be a really nice guy but I don't want to pass off passion but that's this is beyond passion mm. um, this is petulance uh, which was spoken about with Rory and and so there was an interesting little quote that came through um, on my little beepy phone technical device and. The question was, how is Rory so likable and hateable concurrently that I can love watching him but find myself furious at the time, same time? And it's because he, he does these things. But I'll tell you, see, for me, it's simple. I think he is uber talented. His swing is just a thing of beauty to watch. Not as good as Yuka Sasa. But he just seems just seems to be an absolute knobhead. And <laughs> when you, but that's the thing for me. I'm like, I can't, I can't cheer for someone who continually says stupid things or um, out-of-touch things or um, just so self-involved. That's And I think that's the thing. And he might be a ripping fella. Self-involved? You want self-involved shooter? Did you happen to catch any of Nick Feldo? Oh, I knew you were going to bring up Where's Feldo. So we spoke about this during the, the PGA and the impact of Feldo on the commentary team is when Feldo was on it, everyone whether it be IBF or Noblo, had went down to a mumbling, monotone dribble. And then the minute he left the commentary box, they were up and about, and particularly what was most evident is when, when Mickelson came into the commentary box. So his impact on the, the vibe of the, of the whole team. Um, as Doogie Donnelly said, the greatest walk in golf. So, so Colin Montgomery is walking... Uh, Colin Montgomery. No, he's never done it. <laughs> Colin Makakawa... <laughs> Is <laughs> that was sorry, Colin. Colin with two L's, Morikawa, walking up 18 at Royal St. George's. The greatest walk in golf. A huge ovation for the champion, and Feldo talks all over it because he just can't help himself. It, it's it's a nightmare. Conversely to that, then I just want to give some kudos. I also wonder whether Alison Whitaker might be the best commentator. You know, in, in she certainly brings a fair bit to it. I don't dislike Valdo as much as you do mm-hmm. but I do have an issue with the. I think the way he 
presents a lot of the stuff. Well, he talks, he talks in the vernacular of a pro speaking to other pros. So he, he'll use terms that half the people listening don't know unless they're a, a, a pennant player at their, at their local club. I think that's, that's not giving anything. That's, that's almost being an elitist looking down on people. And I, I don't think he actually gives as much, he doesn't give as much knowledge to the watcher as, say, a Frank Nobolo, who seems to only speak when he's got something to add. And I know you're a, you're a huge Frank Nobolo fan. Ali was great. I, I, I think she really brought some, some nice light to it, some interesting facts. Sometimes you could argue maybe just a little bit too much, like what they ate for breakfast on their fourth birthday, but those sorts of things. I thought she brought some really nice colour to it. She's a little bit quirky. I'm a big fan. Yeah, you're right, Felder. You, you've got to stop taking these moments away from people because you like hearing your own voice. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably the, the key. And, and just one thing on, on Felder, you know, you mentioned all these, these technical assessments of, of things. I do wonder if they got Felder to assess swings the way they used to get Bob Costas to on the PGA Tour. Whether he would have the same insight, Feldo seems very good at giving an assessment once the ball has finished in the left rough or the right rough. And not so much the minute it's been hit, oh, that must be going left because he obviously did this or that. Just one thing, anyway, that, that's my anti-Feldo. I won't go any deeper than that. But one thing about Elson Whitaker that I loved, and because we love nicknames and we spoke to Kipper about different caddy nicknames and Front Edge, which I think was my favourite, they were talking about <laughs> a, a caddy from New Zealand, Mike White, whose nickname is Sponge or Spongy. And Ellison asked uh, Don from who uh, commentated the Asian tour where there was a, another nickname that he was aware of of a caddy, um, a, a cool nickname. And he said, yes, there was, there was a caddy on the Asian tour whose nickname was Dynamic Gold, named after the Shaft Company. And he just left it, and there was kind of this, this just chuckle <laughs> oh, no. that he'd gone close enough. Anyway, off to the twelfth. <laughs> no explanation. But I maybe. loved it, and that couldn't have happened with Feldo because he would have then gone. What you're talking about is because he just. I don't think Feldo gets the subtleties of when to be sh- when to be quiet. Okay, Feldo. Very good. Very good. I have one more question. Okay, I'm listening. Is Justin Thomas, and this might be because I was burnt by picking him. Is Justin Thomas America's answer to Tommy Fleetwood? Or am I just a little bit bitter? As in everyone loves you and he hasn't produced? Promises sort of the world. Everyone. Oh, such a good player. The guy is a good yeah. player. Are you serious? He's such a good player. Has he Has he won any majors, Phil? He's won one, but he's... Yeah, well, he's won as many as Bryson. Yes, but I'm not putting Bryson in this category because he is... But you have been for the last four months. No, but is JT America's answer to Tommy Fleetwood, which is all promise. Oh, he's so wonderful. Oh, such a good player. Oh, give him all the media in the world. And then send him out wearing a hoodie in round three when stuff's about to get real. There's going to be a wind blowing. And I have no issue with hoodies on the golf course. But the last thing you'd want is something sitting around your neck with wind blowing and flopping around. And it was no surprise that he removed it almost as quickly as he possibly could once it got over 14 or 15 degrees, because there's a point, don't take the cash. Don't take the cash or just say I'm wearing a jumper. That's almost a point. That's It felt like it was, look, I'm being different rather than I actually wanted to wear a hoodie. Because you could see it flapping around and hitting him in the head and it's just there's no way that wasn't distracting. Is I think you're being too hard on him. I really do think you're being too hard on him. I think the guy's a jet. He'll be back and he'll he'll go at least contest in more majors, no question. Not at an open. You did talk about hoodies I want to quickly talk about, I think, the ugliest part of the whole tournament, some of the fashion. Some of the outfits that were there, man, there were some eyesore combinations, and none were worse 
None were worse than Justin Rose's round four outfit with the bloody rose pattern polo. I even, I'm pretty sure, I, yeah, I texted something out on our on our WhatsApp group. It just, oh my word, that thing was horrendous, ugliest thing ever. And was it that it was little roses on him? That wasn't lost <laughs> on me either. So clever. It was horrendous. Seriously, that shouldn't be allowed on. If, if we're not allowed to wear wear white socks, Phil, or black socks, Phil, we shouldn't be allowed to wear that. Like I'm wear whatever you want, but that's no, that's one step too far and don't wear barcodes just dear Nike designers stop with the barcodes David Jones have already got is this, it is this, uh, is this Fleetwood Fleetwood and for now like David Jones it's been their logo forever so don't turn it into a shirt or put accidentally someone trip over in their design department having been to David Jones fall into the bag have the arms rip through the edges of it and go yeah we'll whack a collar on this Oh, bloody disaster. <laughs> Fleetwood's round four uh, top, I'd written down and it looked like a black and white inkblot pattern. You know, those those things that you need to see. Well, what do you see here? Oh, I see a sailing ship. I see. It was That was a close second to Justin Rose. Uh, Ian Poulter, did you see the, the, the... I know Poulter is renowned for having horrendous fashion or at least getting it wrong occasionally and quite badly, but pastel pink pants or trousers with, with a deep purple, bright purple um, polo. Horrendous combination. Now, had he gone subtle, had he had a, a you know, the, the pants are fine with a white shirt. He got it so wrong. I saw so many of these, I was hoping that they didn't win so we wouldn't have it captured uh, captured for eternity. Anyone who's played golf with my old man would know that he would be looking at Ian Poulter saying, man, he's dressed so well today. I think Elfie might have started that whole trend of just, what's the worst two things no. I could possibly wear together? Yes. Today's the day, my friends. Today's the day. What's that saying, Philly? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Anyway, on that note, we'll bring today's Tenuous Links Golf podcast to a close. Thanks again, Phil Bear, as always, for sharing your thoughts on what was a very successful Open Championship. Be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com, follow us on all of our socials, and remember to series link Season 2 of Golf Barons now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Thanks again for listening, Barons, and until next time, add some swagger to your swing.